Timothy, the Apostle Paul, writing to his young protege Timothy. Timothy is the bishop or the pastor over several churches in Ephesus. And uh, as I said before, we've come as far as, uh, as verse 11. For the sake of context this morning, I want to pick up in verse 6. And we'll cover down verses through 11, uh, from 11 to 16. So in, follow along with me in verse 6. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godlessness, faith, or godliness. <laughs> Not godlessness. Pursue godliness, <laughs> faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So what Paul's telling Timothy here, he's listing a series of commands for Timothy. He tells him first, but you, O man of God. We should take notice of that because certainly that applies to Timothy being a pastor. But how many of us want to be men of God? How many of us want to be? I want to be a man of God or women of God. You know, if you want to be a man of God or a woman of God, your ears should go perk up. This is an opportunity. We're going to see how do we do such a thing? What does it look like in our life? So what Paul is telling Timothy is he says, flee these things. Flee these things. What things is Timothy supposed to flee? He's supposed to flee the desire to be rich because he just told us it only, it only brings temptation and a snare. He's supposed to flee, flee the desire or the love of money that causes some people to even stray from the faith. And it, it'll even bring many sorrows, intense grieving, intense uh, anxiety with it. He's telling us to... to for, to be content, not to be discontented. Basically, if you can kind of sum it up, he's telling us to flee worldliness. Flee the things that are going to attract people of the world. And what we find is the only other place in Scripture where we're told to flee is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, where he says, flee sexual immorality. So really what Paul's saying here is flee the wealth, flee the draw, flee, flee the very thing that's going to try to attract you in, to draw you in. And, and when we talked about it last week, we mentioned the wealth. And what is that? It's always trying to, 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 I'm looking for my happiness in my stuff. I'm looking for my happiness in my money. If I could just get a bigger house, if, I, if you're buying a lottery ticket, you're, you're chasing wealth. Okay, let me just say that. If you're, if you're spending a dollar hoping that you'll get rich, you're chasing wealth. Now, are you saying I can't buy, and I'm not saying that. Do whatever the Lord tells you to do. But I'm, what I'm saying is take a proper evaluation of what you're doing. Why are you doing it? What are you hoping to get for? If you win the lottery, are you going to give it all away? Well, no way. I've already got it spent. You know, <laughs> I'm going to get a bigger house and I'm going to, I'll give some. 10% remember. No, I'm just kidding. When Paul says to flee, what it means, it means to run for your life from an enemy. Run for your life from an enemy. Think about I am running for my life from something that is trying to capture me and carry me and pull me in. That's what worldliness does. That's what wealth can do. That's what sexual immorality can do to a believer. Run for your life. Now, here's the problem. 
We as Christians need to flee things. We need to run from things. We need to put things in our past. But he doesn't stop there. You see, sometimes in Christianity, we can go, all right, I'm fleeing this. I no longer do that. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not looking at that. I'm not thinking this way. I'm not buying any more lottery tickets after this morning. I'm not doing anything. I fled that. But see, he doesn't stop there. Because if we were to stop there, then we would be people who are nothing, who all we, all, all, we become people who are only about what we're against. I'm against this. I'm against wealth. I'm against worldliness. I'm against, it's all about I'm what I'm against. You ever met somebody like that? When you talk to them, it's all about what they don't believe. I don't believe this. I don't believe that. I don't want to do this. What do you believe? You see, Paul gives us a very clear prescription. He says, flee these things. But right after that, what does he say? O man of God, flee these things and pursue. So it's fleeing one thing. It's pursuing, which, by the way, means to chase after something. To, to grab a hold of something, to chase like you're trying to grab it. If you're a Christian who has fled and not pursued, your life is all about what you are against or what you're fleeing from, not what you're pursuing. Warren Wearsby put it this way. He said, separation, meaning the things of the world, separation without positive growth becomes isolation. Separation without positive growth becomes isolation. We must cultivate these graces of the Spirit in our lives or else we will be known only for what we oppose rather than for what we propose. Do you know people like that? I do. I know it's in Christianity it's one of those things we can always be against something. Let's be known for people who are for something. We're for Jesus Christ. We're for his saving grace. We're for his mercy. We're for his promise. We're for eternal life. It's not about what we're standing against. Why are we worried about what we're against? We got all the, what we have for us is unbelievable. He says, pursue. Pursue these things. And he lists a series of six things. Pursue these things. Pursue these six things. And it means to run after something, to take hold of it. So I'm running from this. I'm running from worldliness, from wealth, from sexual immorality. I'm running from that. But I'm not just trying to, I'm just not on the run. I'm also chasing something else. I'm chasing something else. And don't forget this part. The first thing he says, first thing you're chasing is righteousness. Righteousness. Well, wait a minute, Rob. I thought when I got saved, I was righteous. That's not the righteousness he's talking about here. It's not the righteousness we receive when we're born again. This righteousness refers to our personal integrity. It's how we're dealing with other people. It's how we're interacting with those people. It's how we interact with our fellow man. It's our salvation lived out and worked out. It's a demonstration of our new life in Jesus Christ. It's, it's, we believe in Jesus, we're made righteous. Now, are we living that righteousness? That's what he's referring to. Notice what he says. It doesn't come. It, it, you, it doesn't just fall upon you. You need to pursue righteousness. And sometimes when you're pursuing something, you grab a hold of it, but it might get away from you. And you might have to grab it again. And, and when it says to... When it says to flee and pursue, those words in the Greek, what they mean is continually flee, continually pursue. Don't stop pursuing. Don't stop fleeing. We need to keep doing those things. Keep fleeing. Keep pursuing righteousness in godliness. Pursue godliness. What does it mean to pursue? How do I chase after godliness, Rob? Godliness, it simply means reverence towards God or piety towards God. It's, it's, a, it's a reverence towards God. It has to do with my, my, my character. My, my godliness, ha- uh, righteousness has to do with our character. Our godliness has to do with our conduct. It's, it's, we're, it's, I want to pursue, I want to be godlike. I want, I, you look, you read the, read the gospels and you read, how was Jesus? How did Jesus act? That's what I'm pursuing. I'm pursuing, he was, you know, God manifested in the flesh. I want, I want to pursue that. I want to be more like him. I want to, I want to pursue those things. But he also says to, per, tells Timothy, pursue 
Pursue what? Faithfulness. Pursue faithfulness. Again, it's, it's talking about, you know, are, it's talking about your interaction with people here. Pursue, are you a faithful person? When, when you tell somebody you'll be there at a certain time, do you show up at a certain time? Or do they know that you're going to be, well, they're going to be a half hour late. Or if they come at all. Or are you the type of person when somebody makes an appointment with you, they, they probably think, well, they're probably not going to show up in the first place. Because they do that all the time. No, pursue faithfulness. What does pursue mean? To chase after. To try to accomplish. To try to achieve. Are, are, are you a dependable person? Are you a faithful person? This is not your faith in God. He's not talking about pursue my faith in God. Pursue faithfulness as a character in my life. Am I a, would people describe you as faithful? Can they depend on you? Can they trust you? Or are you just kind of flaky and you just, you'll say you'll do something and you never show up? You see, the man or the woman of God is pursuing these things. They're chasing after them. It's important to them. And so often in Christianity, we spend our time focusing on what we're running from. Quit looking backwards at what's chasing you. Do you know that you run slower when you look backwards? You do. You run slower when you're looking over your shoulder. Look towards where you're headed and pursue these things, and those things will never catch you. You can't, if you're pursuing, you know, things of the spirit, if you're pursuing godliness, if that's my, my goal, that's the direction, that's the path I'm on, I don't have to worry about what's coming up behind me. Because I'm, I'm, I'm running in that direction. I'm not worried about what's running behind me. Pursue godliness, faithfulness. And look what it says. Pursue, pursue what? Love. Love, pursue love. This is, this is what's called agape love. It's unconditional. It's that, it's that sacrificial love. It's you know, a love that will sacrifice for the sake of others. And let me just say it's a decision. You choose to, be, you choose to exhibit agape love. You, you can only receive it through Christ. It's, it comes from him through you out to other people. But you can cut it off. You can choose not to be a loving person towards others. It's a sacrificing love. Maybe you've had an opportunity to help somebody. And it's not a very convenient time. And you go, well, I'd help you, but I just can't. It's just, it just won't work for me. You know, agape love says you're more important than whatever I have to deal with over here. I'm willing to lay this aside. I'm willing to lay whatever I have to do, if it's possible. Sometimes it's not possible to lay something aside. But sometimes, you know, you had something planned where I, I just, I want to do this. I want to accomplish this. And agape love says, no, I'm going to put you, I'm going to sacrifice I'm going to set myself aside so I can do something for you in a, in a tangible way. And that only comes through the Lord. Now the next two, the next two, uh, patience. Pursue patience. Maybe you've heard it. Don't ever pray for patience. Don't ever do it because you know he's going to bring it your way. You're going to need it. No, I, the Bible says pursue patience. I, I think you should pray for patience. And I want you to know, understand what this word means because sometimes we think patience means having a short fuse and having to deal with, you know, I don't want to get angry, so I'm praying for patience. Patience is not the opposite of anger, okay? Patience, it, it, it means this. It means to, to have endurance under a load, to bear up under intense pressure. It's the, it's the idea of I'm in a difficult situation and I'm carrying through. I'm continuing on. I'm not collapsing. You know, maybe as a kid you, you did a project in school where you build a bridge and you try different structures and you begin stacking weights to see how long it'll take till it collapses. Patience is that bridge holding that weight up. I'm, I'm, I'm pursuing, I'm enduring, I'm, I'm continuing under a load. It's, a, it's, not compl- it's not a complacency that waits, but a courage that continues in hard places. It's that idea that I'm, I'm carrying through, it's, I'm not going to collapse. And the last one here, he mentions meekness meekness and as a guy I'm like well I don't really like that word 
I don't really want, meek sounds kind of crazy to me. I don't want to be meek. I, I, that's just not something that, that, that we think of as a manly characteristic in our culture. But I want to challenge you with something. It's the only characteristic that Jesus said of himself. In John, or Matthew chapter 11, 29, he said, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and meek in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Don't make the mistake of thinking that meekness is weakness. It is not weakness at all. For, for the men that say, you know, I, I don't want to be you know, meek. What, what is that? No, no, meekness is not weakness at all. Meekness is power under control. Meekness is power under control. Jesus had all the power in the world, all the power to call down legions of angels from heaven, but he had it all under control as he accomplished God's will. You know, he had, he, when he was, well, we'll get there. He had all the power that he needed. He had everything that he needed. He, at any time, he could have just, I, I, did you ever see the movie The Passion? And he's up on the cross. I'm still hoping while I'm watching that he'll call down the angels and wipe everybody out. I'm watching that movie. Oh, that's what I want him to do because that's how movies are supposed to end. That was meekness. He had the power to change something, but he knew that it needed to be endured, and he had the patience to bear up under that load. That's what we're supposed to be pursuing. So whatever the thing that's got you down or whatever the difficulty is in your life, and if you're not in one right now, be patient. It's coming because this is life, and we live in a sinful world. I promise it, it'll, it'll happen. Whatever it is, we need to be praying for the patience, the ability to endure those things. And we need to be willing to endure them for him and for the meekness, the power to even change it and not because, because you know it's something that you're supposed to be going through. The meekness, the power. All right. And then he says, oh boy, we only got through one verse. We got to get moving. <laughs> but you, O oh man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. And look at verse 12. Notice how it comes right after uh, gentleness, meekness. He says, verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Paul tells Timothy to fight the good fight. It means enter the fight and continue fighting. Enter the fight. And what fight is he supposed to enter? The fight of faith. He's supposed to be entering the fight of faith. And he says, to, and, and just to kind of put it into context for you, in, in the Greek world at this time, the, the, Olympia, the, the Olympia was going, was, was building, the athletes were competing. There was a, you know, Paul, Paul was raised in Tarsus. He went to school there, had a very heavily Greek influence, Greek culture. And uh, what, one of the things I think he's considering, I think he's considering as he's reminding Timothy, I think he's considering of the Greek wrestlers. I think he's thinking of wrestling. He's thinking of a competition, a hand-to-hand -hand combat type thing, a, a fight. A, literally, when you think fight, what do you think of? You think of two people fighting. That's what Paul's thinking of, grappling, fighting. And here's the thing. When the Greek wrestlers would wrestle, do you know what happened to the loser? He had his eyes gouged out. That was common in that day. You lost, you had your eyes gouged out. Do you think that motivated him a little bit more in the ring when they were actually wrestling? You better believe it. And Paul is going to use a similar motivation, not eyes gouged out, but he's trying to motivate Timothy here to fight the good fight of faith. And he's reminding him of a physical thing, of what's taking place in the physical world around him. And Paul is going to tell Timothy to fight the good fight of faith. And he's going to tell Timothy what should be motivating him. The Greek wrestler would be motivated by his sight. Timothy is going to be motivated by here. Look, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on what? 
eternal life. Lay hold, grab onto, don't let go, grasp. Timothy, you're in this fight. What's motivating you is eternal life. That's what should be motivating Timothy to continue in what he's doing. It's the eternal life. It's the, it's the perspective of I have eternal life. That is why I'm doing what I'm doing. That's what's motivating. That's why Timothy's going to continue fighting. There's no getting out of the fight of faith. You start to walk with the Lord. You can't just go, yeah, well, I don't want to. No, you're, you're, you're finished the race, Paul would say. Paul would later tell Timothy, I have fought the good fight. As he comes to the end of his life in 2 Timothy. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, Paul would say. And now he's encouraging Timothy to do the same thing as he's young in his ministry and a young man. Now, eternal life. I want to clarify something. because I want you to. Sometimes we think eternal life, what? Way, way off in the distance, right? Depending on how old we are. You know, if we're here in our teenage years, we get eternal, end of life. Man, that is just forever. But the older you get, the closer you get to the end of your life, the realize, ah, my years are, are winding down. It becomes a lot more real. But I want you to understand something. As a Christian perspective, eternal life, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have it now. You're not waiting for it. You own it. It's, it's, it's a promise to you. You are carrying it with you. That's what's motivating Timothy. That's what motivates us. You want to be a man of God? Flee these things. Pursue these things. What's motivating you? Eternal life. Godliness. That's why I'm pursuing this. Because I have eternal life. You have, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've chosen to follow him, if you've put your faith in him. And by the way, I read a good quote today. I read a good quote this week. It said, uh, let me see if I can get it right. If, you're, if your faith hasn't changed you, it probably hasn't saved you either. If your faith hasn't changed you, it probably hasn't saved you either. So with believers, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we enter a fight for eternal life. We possess the eternal life now. We're just waiting for that to play out. Sometimes we forget that. We forget that. We think, oh, it's way off in the distance. No, no. We hold it right now. Lay hold on eternal life. Grab onto it. Do not let go. Make sure you understand that perspective because that is what's going to carry you through the fight in this earth. When you follow the Lord and you find yourself being anxious and you find yourself being pressed in on every side, when you find yourself being crushed, when you find, I can't bear it anymore, I'm sick, I can't handle it, I'm weighted down, I'm burdened, what's your motivation? Eternal life. It's only temporary. However many years I have left, it doesn't really make a difference because I'm going to be with my Lord forever. I, that's what's going to carry us through. That's what's going to keep you fighting the good fight. And that's what he's telling Timothy here. Eternal life is the motivation of a believer as he navigates this world. It must be. It is not something we are waiting for. We have it right now. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ. If you're, if you're not a believer, you don't have eternal life. You don't have it. What's your hope for the future? There is no hope for the future. You're just going to go back to the dust or whatever it is. But when, as a believer, as a believer, we know eternal life. And the opposite is obviously hell. It's a lake of fire. I can't, I can't speak about one without the other. Salvation, eternal life comes through Jesus Christ. But the opposite side of that is someone who rejects Christ. They're, they're headed for eternal life also, but not eternal life with Jesus Christ. They'll burn in the lake of fire forever, the scripture tells us. And that can easily be changed because at any given time, anybody, doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter your background, it doesn't matter how bad you've been, you can make that decision to say, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. 
And you will receive the forgiveness. He will take your sins. He will forgive them, both past, present, and future. He'll put them as far as the east is to the west. And he will separate you from them. Doesn't mean you'll be perfect. But he says, I'm not going to hold you against, that against you. I'm not, you will not be judged for those wrongs that you've made. I don't know about you, but I need that. I need that in my life. And that causes me to praise the Lord that he's not holding my mistakes against me. So if I get up here and say it's something wrong, it's not held against me. If I get up here and if I make a mistake next week or the week after, it's not held against me. Or this afternoon, or it, it, I can be forgiven for that. That's the grace that we have to walk in. So he charges him. He says, lay hold of, lay hold of eternal life. And uh, oh, one other thing. As a believer, also we need to make sure we understand the concept or the idea of future rewards. Because we live in a society where we want to be rewarded now, don't we? We want everything fast. It's fast food. We need a quick reward. As believers, we're, we're just sojourners in this world. We're just pilgrims in this world. We understand there's eternal life coming. And because we understand there's eternal life coming, because we hold that now, we are working in that now. So our focus is not amassing stuff or wealth or, you know, we're, we're able to say, you know what, like Paul says, if, I, if I'm wealthy, great. If I'm not wealthy, great. I still have my Lord and I'm going to navigate this world however, however it happens. Whatever, whatever comes upon me, I'm willing to walk in and be content with, Paul would say. I'm willing to be content with it. So, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life. And he says, by the way, to which you were also called, Timothy, you've been called to this, and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Timothy, you've already confessed this. You've, he, Paul's reminding Timothy of what he's confessed, that, that he, his belief in Christ, his eternal life. And, and, and you've got to love it, because this is the classic example of Timothy's already done this, so what he's done, Paul's now telling him back. It's kind of like you give out somebody, some counsel to somebody, then they come back to you and say, oh, by the way, remember what you said? I'm going to give it right back to you at your life, at your, for your own life. And you go, oh. It's easy to give it out, but then it has to come back to you. So Paul's reminding Timothy, hey, I've already, you've already made this confession. I'm just holding you to it. I'm just telling you to stay in the fight, stay in the battle, Timothy. And then in verse 13, he says, I, I urge you, I urge you, another command, it's, another, it's a charge. I urge you in the sight of God, and he's going to give us two witnesses here. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things, and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing. So Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, I'm urging you. I'm urging you. I'm, 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 it's a charge. It's a military term for I'm charging you. You do this, Timothy. You keep this commitment. But he also gives two witnesses. I'm urging you in, the, in, in, in front of God. And notice what he says, who gives life to all things. I'm urging you in front of God who gives life to all things. I'm urging you in front of Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate. So before God and before Jesus Christ, I'm urging you, Timothy, to keep Keep this commandment. What, what's the commandment? To pursue those things. Pursue those six things. Flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Now, if we had to take evaluation of ourselves, how many of us could say that part of our day planner, our calendar, is I'm going to pursue these things today? How many of us wake up in the morning and go, I, I need to pursue godliness today? And we look for a tangible way to pursue godliness. The truth is, we really don't. We spend most of our time running from something. Let's change that. Let's, let's take our life and say, you know what? The Bible, the scripture is clear. I'm supposed to pursue these things. So this week, let's make it a point to pursue these things. Figure out ways. And here's what I know. 
That if you will make that a point in your life to pursue, I want to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness, the Lord will meet you right there. And he will show you exactly where and how to do that. Because this is the way it works. I come to the word and I say, you know what? I've been running. I need to start pursuing. Lord, will you show me how I'm supposed to pursue these things? Will you show me this week? And when you wake up tomorrow morning, God, will you show me how I'm supposed to pursue, you know, love and faith and patience and gentleness? Will you show me how to do that? He will. You'll find things. If that's important to you, he's going to meet you right there and he's going to show you how to pursue them. Or we can just let it go in one ear and out the other. That's up to us. But what does it say? Oh, man of God, flee these things and pursue these things. In other words, a man of God will pursue these things. That's what a man or a woman of God has in their mindset. I'm going to charge after. I'm going to grab hold of. I'm going to pursue these things. Now, back down to verse 14, that you keep this commandment with spot, without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing. With which he will manifest in his own time, he who is a blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The Apostle Paul is telling Timothy, because you can imagine the question, well, how long do I have to pursue these things? Until he comes back. Timothy had been with the Apostle Paul. He's been, he, First Thessalonians had already been written. He would have understood the doctrine. He would have believed in the return of Jesus Christ. It would have been clear. And Paul, at the beginning of his ministry, thought the Lord was coming back any day. Here, now we come towards the latter, latter part of his ministry. The Apostle Paul makes it very clear. He says, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing, which he will manifest in his own time. But notice he's encouraging Timothy with the return of Jesus Christ. It's the return of Jesus Christ. We forget that. We sometimes forget in our daily walk that Jesus is coming back to call his church home to him. And we forget, if we would remember that, it would change the way that we lived every day. Because if you really believe that you only had a short time left on this earth, well, let me ask you this way. What if you only had seven days to live? Would it change what you did next week? You bet you it would. What if you had a month to live? Would it change? Yeah. What if you even thought, what if you even thought, I'm, I've, got, I've got some major health problems, I know my time is short, would it change? It would. It absolutely would. It would change the way that you live. As Christians, we can't lose sight. Paul hasn't lost sight of it, and he's reminding Timothy to lose sight of it, that Jesus is coming back in his own timing, and we don't know when that'll be. And sometimes we get so distracted by the things of the world we get so caught up in chasing our businesses and our careers and our stuff and our taking care of our houses and our yards and all the stuff that can just pile up that we forget today might be the day that Jesus comes back. That was important for Timothy to remind, be reminded of. And guess what? It's important for you and I to be reminded of also. It, this could be the week. We could really, this could literally be our last week. Some of you go, praise the Lord. I've had it. I can't take it anymore. <laughs> and others of you go, I got some work to do. You know, either way, we should live with that expectation. Everybody to this point in history lived with that expectation from Christian perspective. And you know what? We're closer than they were because Paul thought he was coming back to almost 2000 years ago. He's got, we're, got, we're 2000 years closer than Paul was. Now, personally, I believe it'll be in our, I believe it'll be soon. When I look at what's going on in the Middle East, I think it'll, I think he's coming back soon. I watch what's going on in the country and everything. I, I think it'll be soon, but I, I, to live with any other perspective, I would be doing a disservice because then I would be saying to God, you're not coming back. Not till, not till I think you're coming back. He says when it's least expected. 
No man will know the day or the hour. Paul's reminding Timothy of that. Be reminded this week, he could be coming back this week. Might be before we're done here today. Might be tonight. I don't know the answer to that. Nobody knows the answer to that. But let that resonate in your heart. Let that be something that guides you from making the choices that you make. Let that be the thing, one of the things, what am I going to do this week? Well, Jesus might come back. That might just sway you one way or the other. And it won't sway you the wrong way, I promise you. All right. Notice what he says. And then he gives the glory in verse 15, which he will manifest his own time. He who is the blessed and only potentate, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Potentate means ruler. Lots of potentates, lots of little rulers running around the world. He is the only one. He is the king of kings. That means he is the king over all other kings. That means he is the Lord over all other lords. No matter who they are in, on this earth, wherever they have at, whatever wealth they've amassed, whatever power they hold, they are nothing before God. And we need to remember that. They are nothing before God. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. Notice verse 16. Who alone has immortality? Who alone has... That, that could, that's better translated this. Who alone has deathlessness? Not, not that he's... He, he holds... De- there's no death. He holds, he holds deathlessness in his hands. He, he, there, there's, he's, he's got immortality. There's nothing. No other person. No other ruler. No other king. Nobody. Doesn't matter how, who's the oldest person in the world. How long? What's the oldest person lived to be? I don't know. Even if you go back to the biblical days, eight, nine hundred years, nine hundred and fifty years. That's nothing in God's hands. He holds He holds deathlessness. There's there's no death. But at the same time, isn't that kind of nice too? There's no death, deathlessness. Because isn't isn't death the tragic thing that we all look towards that we, we don't want anything to do with? As Christians, we're not afraid of dying, but you know, the actual death part I'm okay with. But the process, the getting there, I, I, I'm not so sure I want that. I'm not so sure that I, I like that part of it. I'm okay with where I'm going. I'm, I'm, I'm satisfied there. I know I've got eternal life, but that process that could lead up to that, that's not something I'm comfortable with. But he holds deathlessness. No other king can hold that. No other, no, there, you can't buy that. Look, he dwells, who dwells in unapproachable light. Paul's no doubt referring to his own conversion on the road to Damascus where he saw the light and was blinded by the light. Unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Look at that. Let me read it to you again. He who is blessed and the only potentate, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. That's who we serve. That's the God, if you've chosen to follow Jesus Christ, that's the God that you serve. That's the, just, just a small scope of his power. Death, no enemy. King of the world, king of the earth, no enemy. Money, money and oil money, no enemy. Nothing, nothing is, can come against him. It's not even in the same Satan, pff, created being. There's, we have to understand God and Satan are not equal. God, Satan is a created being who sinned and was thrown out of heaven. Realize something. When we sing the song Almighty, he really is almighty. He really does have his hands on everything. Are you looking to the election to save the country? You think Donald Trump's going to do it? What about Hillary? She's got it, right? I mean, that's going to fix everything. Could we be so foolish to think? I'm not suggesting we don't vote. Please, everybody has, should vote. 
Everybody should vote. I'm not suggesting that for one moment. But what I'm saying is, as a follower of Jesus Christ, our hope doesn't lie in who wins the election and who loses the election come November. Because we know God's hand is in everything and God's plan is being worked out. And it will be worked out according to his glory. Whether we like it or not, whether it's difficult or not, it will be worked out. It will come down to what he wants. And we just have to be able to be okay with that. Now, before we close, I want to remind you with a couple things. This book, and we'll finish it the next time we gather together, this book, the Apostle Paul has given instruction to Timothy. And in our scripture this morning, he says, O man of God, if you want to be that man of God or that woman of God, there must be these things happening in your life. You must be fleeing these things. Fleeing the desire to be wealthy, fleeing the pursuit of wealth, fleeing all these things. And again, please understand, I'm not talking about that we should all be poor and give everything away. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is that should not be our motivation for living. That's not our, the force because I want more money. I need more wealth. That's not it at all. We can, we can pursue God and be wealthy. There's nothing wrong with that. But the force, the motivation, the drive can't be wealth. Paul says flee from these things. But fleeing simply isn't enough or you're going to spend your whole life being chased. Instead, we want to be the one that's pursuing. And he gave us six things very clearly to pursue. He said, pursue these things. Righteousness, godlessness, or that's twice. Godliness. <laughs> pursue, see what Satan does? Pursue godliness, pursue faith, pursue love, pursue patience, and pursue gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing which he will manifest in his own time. He who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Father, you've made your will known. Oftentimes as Christians, we say, Lord, what's your will for my life? You've told us right here. Flee these things and pursue these things. Lord, may we apply that. May it not just be a suggestion. Because Paul didn't write, down at his, write it as suggestions. He wrote it as commands. He's commanding young Timothy to follow hard after these things in his life. These characteristics. Lord, would you help us do that in our life? Would you help us, Father? We can't do that without you. We can't do that through willpower, Lord. And we can't do that through our own ability to say no to our flesh. We need you, Lord. We need, to, we need your promises that our flesh is dead. We need your promise. We need the filling of the Holy Spirit to able to, to accomplish these things you've laid before us. Lord, I know that you don't call us to do anything that you haven't equipped us to do or that you won't equip us to do. And I know as you call us to pursue these things, the Holy Spirit will give us the power to do it. So Lord, may this study this morning, may we really take a hard look at what we're doing in life. Why are we, what are we pursuing? What road are we on? Before we close, as always, let's just take a few minutes in prayer. Evaluate your life. Maybe you're on the right road, then give praise to God. Maybe you've been apart from the Lord. If you don't know the Lord, just 
I'm going to be up here in the front, so just come on up and I'll pray with you to accept Christ this morning if that's, if that's a decision you need to make. If I talk about a believer and you say, well, that's not me, well, it should be you. So just come on up here and I'll pray with you this morning. And for the rest of us, take a few minutes. Lunch will wait and just go before the Lord. Go before your creator.